Well, I'm having so much fun with all of you ladies. I wish this could just go on and on and on forever. I'd really love to, I wish I had the time to sit down with each and every one of you individually and get to know you. Um, but I just want to say thank you for having me. Thank you for, um, for those of you, again, who sacrificed and come, came to the session. Let me get the, the men are ready to help. How many of you need the handout for this session? It's called Renew with His Presence. Raise your hand. Okay, there you go, guys. You got a lot of work cut out for you. So while they're doing that, just keep... They're going to come up to the front and work their way back. So they're on their way, and you can raise your hand up in the front. This session is called Renew with His Presence. Um, and while they're doing that, I'm going to continue to say, I want to say thank you to, to this church. Okay, now I know they're passing things out, and I know some of them are good-looking and everything, but girls, keep it down. They're married men, okay? Kidding. Um. I just want to say thank you to this church and this, all the workers. Have you seen, this place is, looks amazing. Everything's going so well. It's just, even just now, they had to set up extra chairs. I saw that taking place. And there were just people jumping right in to help and make it happen what needed to be done. But from everything to ironing tablecloths to preparing food, to preparing lessons, to planning months in advance, sometimes years in advance. We're right now, in our church, we have Our Ladies Conference in August, and we're already in preparation. There's meetings going on. It takes a lot of work to put on a ladies' conference. Um, if you want to, it takes a lot of work to put on our RU conference every year. That's a different animal. That's a whole different ballgame. I have to seat a thousand people at a banquet and I used to have to give them all reserves oh it was horrible but we do it a little different now but anyway um, it takes a lot of work and so let's I would like for us to stop and give a round of applause to show thanks to all the people all those who served to the pastor here and the pastor's wife they I mean it costs money to put on a conference too and I know you put it in your budget, and the, but there's certain expenses that come up that you're not expecting. There's people that pay for things out of their own pocket. I know, because at our conferences, I do that. Oh, we need such and such. Oh, let me go get it. And people sacrifice to do this, but I've heard so much talk from the women about how much that you're just loving this and enjoying this. Be sure to tell them thank you, okay? Be, thank you just says so much. So be sure, all right, we need, they wanna know, does anybody else need a handout? Raise your hand. Good job, guys. Looks, uh, well, we got one, one right in the center, one. We missed one, but so that's still really good. You only missed one, so way to go. All right, everybody have one now? All right, fantastic, way to go. All right, so thank you again for, for being here. Thank you for taking the time out um, to refocus, to renew. Um, I'm going to talk specifically from verse 11 during this session where it says, Cast me not away from thy presence. The word renew in the previous verse is the, the, um, the Greek or Hebrew word kaddish, K. H-A-W-D-A-S-H. It's a word that means to be new, to rebuild, to renew, or to repair. And just like I talked about that little spa thing in the, in the first session and that importance of sitting still and that importance of purging and getting out all the yuck and the dross and the importance of abiding in him. Remember I said not him abiding in you, 
but you abiding in him. And that's where my heart is during this session. And what I want to share with you is um, how to be renewed with his presence. Um, I'm going to share a little story. I love to read. I made that clear already in the first session. And by the way, I am so sorry I didn't bring enough books. I didn't know you were going to want to spend so much money. I wasn't prepared. No, they send it from RU, and, and they base it on, I tell them a few numbers, but that's it. Um, but I apologize if you didn't get a book and you wanted one. You can go to our website, or you can go to an RU chapter, and they can get the books for you, too. Or you can call me at RU. I'll help you get one. Um, but... And in, in I love to read, and I told you about those victim or victorious books about the different women's biographies I've read. Well, there was a book I was looking for, and I have a Kindle, and so I go on Amazon, and I'm looking for this book, but I couldn't remember the title. Somebody told me about it, and I knew it had the word father in it. So I typed in biography and father, and the very first thing that popped up at the top of my list was a free book. It wasn't the book I was looking for, but it was a free book. And so I'm going to download a free book because it's free, right? And, so, and I love to read. And I can read fast and so on and so forth. This book was called She Dared to Call Him Father. And I read the story of a woman named Bill Quis Sheik. I'm probably saying her name wrong. She was a Pakistani woman. She grew up in Pakistan. She was from a very elite family in politics. She married a very elite, very well-to-do, wealthy man. And they were also in leadership in politics in Pakistan. They were all Muslim. And um, something happened later in her life. You know, she was just going through the, the motions of life and following life like any Pakistani woman would. And, um, but later in life, her parents passed away and her husband divorced her. And that's hard enough. But when you read of the culture of that area and what she went through, um, basically her life was over. She had nothing. She basically was whisked away to the, the... Now, she still had a big, very large house to live in up in the mountains. They had several big homes. And she had servants, but she was all alone. And she loved to work in a garden, so she would spend her days working out in a garden. But she was really struggling. She was sad. She felt like an outcast. Her parents were, were gone. She had no one to turn to. Um, you know, her husband had written her off, so on and so forth. And she's all alone. She's out working in her garden, and she feels just this overwhelming darkness. And so she decided to read her Koran. She went in the house. She pulled out her Koran. She started reading. And she thought it would make her feel better, but it wasn't making her feel any better. But she kept reading, and she found the name, the man named Jesus, the prophet, was written about in the Koran. And she thought to herself when she read his name, hmm, I don't know much about this Jesus. I've heard about him, but I don't know much about him. So she tried to find more about him. But there's not much written about Jesus there. But she felt something different every time she was reading about Jesus. And so she wanted to know more about him because she felt a peace like she'd never experienced. And so she asked some, one of her servants who she thought was a Christian if he would get her a Bible. Now, please understand, Christians are killed in Pakistan. So this man, no doubt at first, was very afraid to say, yes, I'm a Christian. But eventually he told, it was her chauffeur, and eventually said, well, yes, ma'am. She said, can you get me a Bible? And she, he's like, are you sure? 
And he brought her a Bible, and she started reading the Bible. And the thing she found most interesting right off the bat was that the Bible referred to God as Father. Because the Quran does not speak of Allah as Father. And so she kept reading more and more, and the more she read about Jesus, the more she wanted to know him. It was so different, and the words were so different what she was reading. She wanted to know more and more, so then she heard that there were some missionaries somewhere close by, these people that were crazy Christian people that, you know, people were against them in Pakistan, but she wanted to meet them. She wanted them to talk to her, and she ended up meeting with them and talking to them, and she kept reading her Bible, and in her bedroom, down on her knees, all by herself, mind you, she had no missionary that came to her. She had no preacher. She had nobody sharing the gospel with her at her door. She was seeking God, and God was very, became very real to her. After reading the book of Acts, she knelt down at her bed, and she trusted Christ as her Savior. And she said she felt this overwhelming peace like she had never experienced. And as I read that book, I also read another book um, that's not about a Christian woman, but it's a book called I Am Malala. It's about that young girl who got to, in Pakistan, whose father fought for her to be able to get an education. And it was a very popular um, book in our culture, secular book. She wasn't, she's not a Christian, she's a Muslim. But I read these two books and I learned a lot about this culture that is so very different than ours and the way they were brought up and the fears that they had. And you know what, I feel like sometimes we as Americans were way too spoiled and we take far too much for granted. Because I wonder how many of us have felt this peace that made such a difference in this woman's life. I mean, yeah, when we got saved, maybe you felt something different, but how often do we really stop and feel the difference of when that peace starts to escape? Because I wanna read something from her book. She said this. All, or the book says this, although Bilquis had a limited number, limited circle of people with whom she could fellowship, God continued to speak to her, instruct her quite directly in a number of ways. In particular, she quickly learned that when, she began, that when we began to either fear or put our trust in the arm of the flesh, our old natural strengths, when we began to fear or to trust ourselves, spiritual peace departs. Whenever she repented of those things and simply trusted and obeyed the guiding of the Holy Spirit in her heart, she would find afresh that comfort and sense of God's presence and protection. Maintaining the knowledge and sense of his presence was everything to her. Have you felt his presence? Do you know what that feels like? Have you experienced that? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would meet with us right now. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us from your word. Speak to my heart as well. Lord, I pray that you would show me anything that needs to be purged and everything that needs to be purged. Lord, I want to experience this every single day, what she spoke of. In your name I pray, amen. I'm going to say, number one, I'm going to try to get to the end kind of quickly. But number one, when we need to renew, repair, or rebuild anything in our lives, we cannot do it without the presence of God. I remember the story of one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it kind of goes along with a song that I also like to listen to. But it's the story of Moses, and for sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire um, portion of Scripture, but it's found in Exodus chapter number 33. 
but Moses is not knowing, you know, the, the children of Israel are doing horrible things and they're, you know, doing different things. Anyway, Moses has to go to talk to God and while he's in the tabernacle and Joshua's there watching him, it comes down to verse number 14. It says, and he said, God is talking. He says, and he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And Moses said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. The song is, if your, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. God, if you're not there, I don't want to go. God, if that's not where you're going, I'm not going there. God, if your presence isn't going to be with me, I'm not going. I don't want to do anything outside the presence of God. Because outside the presence of God is fear, is anxiety, and is all kinds of other things. Number two, when we try to do this, to renew, to repair, to rebuild ourselves in our own power, we become very weary. We battle anxiety and fear. We get stressed out. We feel inadequate and wonder if we're ever good enough. We get frustrated and we often give up or we just pretend that everything is fine. I know because we as Christians, we've gotten really good at doing that where we pretend and we basically perform. We know how to say all the right things, do all the right things, dress the right way, go to the right places, don't go to the right places, talk to the right people. And sad but true, but many times the way we talk to our families at home is far different than the way we talk to the people at church. I know because I've done it too. You fight with your husband all the way to church. You're yelling and screaming at your kids because you're late. And then as soon as the doors open to your car, you're like, hi. Oh, praise the Lord. It's so good to be here. Yeah, because you know it's true. But we have all this stress and all this pressure and all this unkindness and all this flesh going on in our homes that's so unnecessary. We don't have to live that way, and that's what I'm talking That's what, when I read this biography of this woman, she was talking about how she would instantly feel the presence of God and the peace of God start to escape. When was the last time you felt his presence leaving? When was the last time you realized, oh my, I'm getting in my flesh? Or is it days later when you look back and you're like, oh my word, I've really been a bear. And then you try to cover it up and make excuses. Well, it is that time of the month. You know, and we put all of these labels on it and we try to excuse away the fact that the presence of God is nowhere near. I'm not in him. Oh, he's in me, but I'm not in him. I'm not walking in him. Um, God tells us that we don't have to do this alone. We know this. Um, Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor are and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I love study. I love word studies. I love stu I love using my Webster's Dictionary eight two twenty eight. I love using my Strong's Concordance. I have it on my phone. It is so easy. I have it on my computer. I have it on my iPad, where I can click the number right next to the word and see what the Greek word is or what the Hebrew word is, and I can read what it means. The word rest. Well, let me back up. The word labor means fatigued. Can I get an amen? That's me. Fatigued. I think that's my middle name. Heavy laden means overburdened, loaded up, stressed out. Ding, 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 ding. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Okay. Rest means refresh, renew. The word rest, listen to the Greek or Hebrew word, whichever it is. I didn't write down which it is and I always forget. You ready for it? 
a Napa wow. <laughs> Did you hear what was in there? Nap! It's like my favorite word. It's the thing I'll never forget when my kids were little. I, literally, I, I'm not lazy. I'm truly not. You can ask my family. I'm not lazy, but I do love sleep. I do. I, and I don't love it to the point that I never want to get out of bed, but buddy, I am excited when it's bedtime. I, yes, my pajamas and my pillow, yes, I am so happy. I remember when my kids were little, one of, my birth, I was, one of the birthdays when the kids were little, and my husband said, what do you want for your birthday? Jewelry? No. Um, clothes? No. Purse? No. Trip? No. What do you want? I want a nap. That's all I wanted was a nap. I just wanted somebody to come take care of my children, not just anyone. It needed to be grandma. Because, you know, grandma takes care of your kids. You know your kids are having fun. You know they're being loved. You know they're getting spoiled. You know they're well taken care of. She's not ignoring them. And so I needed somebody to watch my children or somebody's to watch my children. So I felt comfortable enough to really sleep and relax. And God says, I can give you that peace. I can give you rest. That's what that woman was talking about. So then why then are all of us so stressed out all the time? If it's available to us and we have access to it, why are we so overburdened, stressed out, worried, full of things? And, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. Instead of turning to God for the answers, we're going to our doctor and he's giving us something in a pill bottle. And ladies, I'm not going to preach at you at that, but I'm just telling you it's not going to fix anything. It's going to cause other complications. Then you're going to need a pill to go to sleep and a pill to wake up and a pill for this and a pill for that and not to mention a pill because of constipation because now you can't go to the bathroom. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Hello? Talk about something that makes me crabby. That's it right there. <laughs> so why do we put ourselves through this when it's so not necessary? It really isn't. I'm going to show you something that God showed me from his word. He showed it to me so very loud and clear because, you see, this is what RU is all about, is our RU program, and I know that if you don't have one or you're not familiar with it, you just automatically think it's for people with drugs and alcohol issues and need help, you know, getting clean. And it is, but it's for me. It's for you. RU is nothing more than an intense discipleship program to help people learn how to walk in the Spirit so they'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Our whole curriculum is based on walking in him, the hidden life, being crucified with him. Galatians 2.20 is our main verse of our entire organization. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me, it's he. But this whole thing of, of teaching women how to die to self, and it's big in our program. We talk about it a lot. How do I die to self? I know I need to. Paul said, I die daily. We all know it. We've all heard it. We've heard the sermons on it. We know that we're not supposed to give in to what I want to have, what I want to do, what I want to be, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's what Eve did. And I know you're just like me. You've said the words, I can't wait to meet her when I get to heaven. <laughs> Truth is, I would have done it before she did it. I mean, because think about it, ladies. She had the perfect husband, the perfect environment, but the perfect home. She had the perfect, don't sit and watch HDTV so much, okay? I'm just here to tell you this little commercial. It makes you discontent. I know, because it makes me discontent. I sit and watch it sometimes with my mom, and I want a new house now. 
I don't like my house anymore. So just be careful how much you take it in, okay? What the eyes don't see, the heart can't yearn for. So be, pick, be careful where you're putting your eyes all the time. But, but the truth is we, we succumb to what we want to have, what we want to do, what we want to be. And though we, we go to church and we do the right things and we follow the rules and we want to be, we know Christ saved us. I know I'm on my way to heaven, but how do I get in him? How do I live my life crucified? How do I die? How do I forget about what I want to have, what I want to do, what I want to be? How do I, how do I kill Wendy? Because Brother Carrington always just said, we don't need a better you. We need a deader you. We need to be dead. It doesn't need to be me. It's him. And two years ago, this February, and it's something that I always pray about. Brother Carrington used to be able to enunciate it so well. And I've prayed and asked the Lord, God, help me to enunciate it to ladies. I know what it means to die. But help me teach them what it means to die, to experience your presence, to feel you, to be in you, not just you in me. And I prayed and I asked him, and two years ago in February, I spoke about it already briefly, but um, I sent my daughter on an errand to go buy some laundry detergent at Walgreens. And um, it's just around the corner from our house. And I was also, I was doing my parents' laundry. That's, it was 9 o'clock at night. I needed to have it done before the next day for my parents because I was going to drop it off at their house. And um, I sent her to the, to the store because I needed to run over to Mrs. Currington's house. We were working on a book together, and this is Steve's mom. And she was having trouble with her computer. She's got some, te- you know, technically challenged sometimes or whatever. And I needed to go fix it and get her going again and because um, she was helping me proof and edit. And so Hannah left, she got in the van, and she pulled out and went down the road. And I was pulling out in my husband's car. My husband was taking out the trash. It was on a Thursday, and that's trash night. Friday morning comes the trash bright and early. And I was pulling out, and he had his coat opened and just a T-shirt on. He was sick. And so I did what any wife's going to do. I'm rolling down my window telling him to button up his coat. You're sick. Button up your coat. And so I'm rolling down my window. I'm going, hey, honey, button up your coat. It's cold out here. And just as I started to say that, my husband and I heard the loudest, most horrible crash. And it happened just around the corner, and my daughter had just turned on that road. And my husband said it immediately, oh, my word, that has to be Hannah. And I took off. I left him. I'm in the car. Poor man. He had to, I don't know what I did. (laughs) I just, I was going for my daughter. I was in that car, and my, before I knew it, I wasn't breathing. I was, I was behind that van, and it was a horrible sight. Parts of cars, every, the two vehicles everywhere. Basically, this car came around the corner going somewhere between 60 and 80 in a 30-mile zone, came around the corner and hit her head on, pushed our van about 30 feet back into the yard. He kept going and spun out in the road. When I got there, I couldn't see my daughter because all the airbags had deployed. The front of our van was completely crunched in. That car was facing the same direction as our van, and the passenger was hanging out of the door. The door was open. He was half in, half out, and bleeding profusely and wailing. And I got to the van, and I was never been so happy as to see her pulling back the airbag and looking at me from underneath. And I got to her, and through all of that, you know, not even knowing what I'm doing, hardly breathing, not even, it just time stood still. 
And um, I just said, Hannah, it doesn't matter what happened. Are you okay? And she goes, I think so. And, and this man is wailing and cursing, and he was also drunk. And he was saying, why did you do this to me? Why did you? And he wouldn't stop. He kept doing it over and over and over again. And finally, I would say, sir, the ambulance is coming. We'd already called. The ambulance is coming. Just hang tight. No, why did you? And he just kept on and on and on. And my daughter, you know, I said, are you okay? Can you feel your legs? And she goes, I think so, but I can't move them. And I, you know, was scared to death of what we were going to find. And um, finally the man said, Dad, Dad, why aren't you answering me? Why did you do this to me? And I said, sir, the ambulance is coming. He goes, go check on my dad. And it's dark. I can't see. And and I said, I can't do that. They'll be right here. And the ambulance came, and it took a while. And finally, we were in an ambulance on our way to the hospital with my daughter. I was so thankful when they got her out, and I saw her legs. And, um, you know, I found out right, right about the time we were getting in the ambulance that that man had died. And, you know, I'm the wife of the international director of RU. And immediately, God started saying, what if it were the other way around? How would you feel? And it took me several days to come to grips with how I felt about that and where I would be standing today if it were the other way around. But shortly thereafter, and praise God, my daughter was fine. Yeah, she's got, she still goes through therapy. And, um, but praise God, she walked away. And she knows God has a purpose for her because he could have taken her right then. And that man that passed away, I found out that his wife had died a year earlier. And yeah, he was drunk. And he was driving on a suspended license and had no insurance. And his 23-year-old son sat in the passenger seat. And his teeth were all busted out of his mouth. And he was also drunk. And that, that boy, along with his brothers and sisters, who are all around my kids' ages, their early 20s, they all lost their mother a year prior, and now they just lost their father. And I had lawyers showing up on my doorstep wanting to sue them. I'm so thankful for an insurance man who we had that non-insured motorist policy on our insurance that covered all my daughter's needs. And we didn't have just the basic. We had the high. It was God. God did that. But you know what? I really had to do a lot of soul searching, but I learned something from it, too. God showed me something very loud and clear. And I want you to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter number 5. Some of you have already heard me say this. I love words. I love punctuation. I love to diagram sentences. I'm one of those weird people from school. I loved doing that in school. I loved studying English. I loved, I loved everything. I love words. I love studying words, where they came from. I do not care for math. That's why I make everything even, because I don't like to add or subtract or do much of anything with math, for that matter. Um, but I was writing down this verse, and I've used this verse so many times in the ministry that I'm in, but, and I always wondered, what in the world, God, were you thinking to put these two statements in this one verse? But verse 18 of chapter 5 of Ephesians says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Oh my word, what a contradiction. Okay, being drunk with wine or being filled with the Spirit. Why would God put those two things in the same verse? I believe it's here. 
we're also incredibly stressed out because I believe it's we're allowing something else in our life besides the presence of God, besides the presence of the Spirit of God to have control in our lives. You see, if you look in that verse right there, it kind of tells us like why we have the law that we have today. You know, we have that law that if your blood alcohol level is 0.08, that's eight one hundredths. I do know a little bit of math. That's eight one hundredths of your blood alcohol is is poisoned. It's full of alcohol, and therefore you're not supposed to drive because it it starts to affect your actions and your reactions. So you're not supposed to get behind a wheel. Makes sense, right? That's just a little bit. If you were 100% filled with alcohol, does anybody in here know what you would be? Thank you, dead. You'd be, your body can't handle that much. You'd be dead. Look at that sentence, or look at that verse. It's divided by a semicolon. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What if I'm 0.08 filled with the Holy Spirit of God? He will start to control my actions and my reactions. It looks like this. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The fruit of the Spirit, not my fruit, his fruit. But when he's in control, he starts to control my actions and reactions. But if I'm 100%, which I wish I could say that I was, but if I were 100% filled with the Holy Spirit of God, what would I be? Same thing, dead. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ladies, God's telling us something's going to control us. We get to pick what it is. Now, in this particular verse, God says, you know, mostly what people were choosing then was alcohol. It, it numbed them. It was a coping mechanism. What's your coping mechanism? Sometimes people pop a pill. Sometimes people go to the refrigerator. Um, sometimes people shoot up. I don't know. All the other things. You know what I'm talking about. But that's not all. There's other things that control us. Money making more money, working, getting another job, having more money, having more things, material things, relationships. It doesn't have to be just a drug or an alcohol. Some, whatever it is that makes you do what you do. What has control over you? Is it television? Is that what you long for, to go veg out in front of the television so that you can cope with and forget about the life? What is it that helps you deal with the stresses and pressures, that outside pressure that all of us had, it just looks different for all? How do you deal? God gives it to us right here in this one verse, but I'm so excited to show you something. Look at the verse. Look at the end of the verse. Does it end in a period? No. The sentence isn't over. He's not done. I, after my daughter's accident, I was writing this verse down one day. And I had this prayer request that I had been asking God, God, teach me how to show women and teach women how to die. And I believe God's going to show us right here in this one sentence. I know he showed me. He'll show you right in one sentence 
that is one, two, three, four verse, nope, nope, number three, nope, four, four verses long, one sentence. My pastor taught me this. We make the biggest mistake of just reading a verse. Read the sentence. That's an incomplete thought. My pastor says it like this. If I told you, and I'll just use, I don't know his phone number, but if I told you, hey, call me tonight. My number is 815-222-03. That's correct, but it's incomplete. I didn't get, you're never going to get in touch with me because I didn't give you all the numbers. And then when we just take a verse out of context is the way they say it. We just pick out the verse we want and we take it out from the middle of the sentence. We're not getting the whole thought. So look at what God says here. God says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Don't let a chemical control you. Don't let something else control you. Let it be the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. But before I go on, let me say this. I think I got it there in your notes. Um, in order for something to be filled, it first has to be empty. If I had a glass of Coca-Cola right here and I wanted water, I wouldn't be able to add water to my Coca-Cola and have a very good glass of water, would I? It'd be yucky. It would be nasty. I don't drink Coca-Cola anymore. I stopped drinking soft drinks when my husband wanted to. Listen to this. He wanted to stop drinking soft drinks, so I did too. And so I helped him, and then he went back to drinking them. I can't stand how they taste now. It burns all the way down. Ladies, I'm telling you, if you want to stop soft drinks, just stop drinking them. Get through about that third and fourth week, and I know the hardest is with pizza, but then just don't do it, and then you won't like it anymore. And I love, I drink water. I drink coffee. That's all I, I want a glass of water. And it's so much healthier and I feel so much better. But that was a whole different commercial. Totally got off on something. Oh, because I had a glass of Coke. So, but if I wanted to fill this glass up with water, I first have to get rid of the Coke in order to fill it with water. If I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I have to get rid of me. I have to die. I have to be empty. What I want to have, what I want to do, what I want to be has to be gone. And I believe God shows us in these next three verses exactly how to get empty so he can fill you. And I know because I've tried it, and I know that it's true. God gives us three ingredients to living the spirit-filled life. How do I crucify my flesh? How do I die to self? Ephesians 5, next, 19, the very next part here of the sentence after the semicolon says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. God says, you want to be empty? Give me praise. You want to be empty? Have a joyful heart. I've already told you I enjoy sleep, and sometimes when I don't get enough of it, I'm grumpy. I'm crabby. Um, other things happen in my life, and it makes me grumble and complain, just like Martha. Well, pfft, why isn't she helping? I mean, look, we're di we did all this. How come she didn't volunteer to help? Hey, how come she didn't come with us today? Hey, how come? We're always looking at others instead of just focusing on ourselves. But God says, hey, I want you to speak to yourselves, not to others. Speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I know why God tells us this. Not, I can't sing. I do not have a good voice, singing voice. Oh, my word, the teen girls just sang over there in the teen session, and they were phenomenal. Um, but I can't sing. I don't sing. My, I sang to my children until they reached a certain age where they started going, Mom, stop, you know, and then I <laughs> stopped. Um, but I can't sing. 
and sound good, but that's not what God's saying here. God says, I don't care how you sound. I said, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Say the words. Say the words out loud. And by the way, ladies, can I just encourage you? Pray out loud. Speak God's word out loud. If the devil's messing with you, open your Bible and say the words out loud. Because then you hear them, and so does the devil. The devil cannot hear your thoughts, but he can hear your words. Speak God's word out loud. Um, but that's why God says, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. God says, hey, count your blessings. Because that's my, that's my go-to song. When I'm grumpy, when I'm not feeling good, when I'm not having a good day, whatever the term or phrase I want to use, when I don't feel good, when I don't, um, the truth is I'm just having a bad heart day, right? I'm not, I'm not in a good place. I'm grumbling, I'm complaining, I'm like Martha. And Jesus goes, windy, windy. I pick count your blessings. That's my go-to song. I start saying it. I start singing it. I start whistling it. I start doing whatever it takes because I want to change my heart attitude. Every morning when I wake up, I pick a song. I pick a song because if I don't pick a song, the devil's going to pick one for me. I'm going to walk in the grocery store and that little jingle is going to get in my head and I'm not going to be able to get it out. That song from the 80s or that song from whatever, and the weird songs they have out today, you don't want those in your head. So you pick the song. And my go-to song is Count Your Blessings. Why? Because I cannot sing that and not be happy. I cannot sing that song and keep a frown on my face. I cannot say those words and, oh my word, God's been so good to me. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God hath done. Oh my word, he's done so many things. And when you start meditating on and thinking on the things that God has done, you can't help but it changes your heart. And when you start, I start picturing the, the changed lives I've seen. I start picturing how he orchestrated my life, and I still don't know all the reasons why, but how he brought me to my husband. And by the way, how he gave me three children after the doctor said I wouldn't have any. I can't help but praise God. So when I get grumbly and start criticizing and critiquing and complaining and my heart's in a bad place and I have a critical spirit, count your blessings. I go to these verses, I'm like, okay, the wrong thing is in control, and it's me. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Oh yes, there's one right here right now, and it needs to go. So I go to these verses, this one sentence. Speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I get my heart in the right place. The heart of the problem is it's the problem of a heart. Get your heart fixed. Get it back in the right place. Get your focus back in the right place. But guess what? Look what that verse ends with. Another semicolon. He's not done. So he says, I want you to have a joyful heart. I want you to speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But number two, I want you to give thanks for all things. Now, I wish he would have just said give thanks. You know, I can do that. But he didn't just say give thanks. He said, giving things always for all things. So for me, that means I have to think about those things I'm not thankful for and thank him for it and be thankful for those things. I'm not natural. It's easy for me to thank God for my family. It's easy to thank God for my children, even when they're not being their best. It's easy for me to thank God for my church and my home and that I'm American and all, you know, it's easy for me to thank God for my parents. It's easy for me to thank God for the things I like. 
It is not easy for me to thank God for the things I don't like. And putting it on a very bottom shelf, I lived in a kitchen that looked like 1980 threw up in it, okay? I'm talking mauve-colored countertops. Anybody else in here have pink kitchen? Mauve-colored countertops? Amen, sister. Yes, indeed. I did... I would watch those HGTV shows, and I did not have anything that they, there's no pink on there going on in those kitchens. There's some serious granite and cement and all these beautiful countertops and these beautiful cabinets, and I would walk in my kitchen and go, ugh. And then God allowed me to go to the Philippines, and I saw a little girl's kitchen where she was cooking, and her sink was a five-gallon bucket on a dirt floor. She would have given anything for my pink countertops. She probably never seen anything like my pink. I'm worried that that's my phone. Somebody else, please tell me it's yours. So, yeah, I see some. Okay, good. Shoo. Thank you. Um, but God says to give thanks for all things. That means giving things, thanks, especially for the things you don't like. I don't know what that is for you. It's For some women, it's the shape of your nose or your size or your height or your hair or your home or your children, your, you know, that, that child that's gone astray. How do you give thanks for that, God? How do I give thanks for this diagnosis? How do I give thanks for the things I don't like? How do I give thanks for the fact that, I, God, you asked me to move to Rockford, Illinois, and I lived in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. How do I thank you for sending me to a freezing, cold, frozen tundra? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for sending me to Rockford, Illinois, where I could see your handwork. Thank you for giving me this pink countertop where my kids sat across here and we spent so many years. I fed them here. I talked to them here. We cried here. I have so many good memories. By the way, ladies, can I tell you a little secret? When I started thanking God for those pink countertops, guess what? I got new countertops. The truth is, so many times God allows us to keep something because we're really not thankful. That's why there's no change, no difference. I literally kept a piece of the pink countertop because I'm going to miss it. That very thing I wasn't thankful for. And I know that's a simple little thing, but there's many things in our lives that keep us from being filled with the Spirit of God because we're full of what I want to have, what I want to do, what I want to be. My husband isn't like her husband. My, and we do this stupid comparison thing. We just get ourselves in so much trouble, and all it does is prohibit the Holy Spirit of God from being able to fill us completely because we're full of ourselves. God says, have a joyful heart. God says, give thanks for all things. Number three, the next verse. Again, it ends in a semicolon, and this is what he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. God says, I want you to humble yourself. I want you to serve. Oh, now, guess what? Good news. The period is there because look at what the next verse says. Yep, we've heard plenty of sermons on that verse. <laughs> Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And the truth is, I've heard a lot of verses, or sermons on verse 19 when they talk about the right kind of music. But they don't mention verse 18 or verse 20 or verse 21, all a part of the same sentence. It all goes together. God says, I want you to submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Can I show you what it looks like to submit yourself? 
I'm going to show you what it looks like, okay? I'm going to have to walk away from the, the microphone, but I'll be right back. But submitting yourself looks like this. serve somebody else. You're submitting yourself under somebody else. You're submitting yourself. You're humbling yourself to others in the fear of God. And again, it's easy for me to serve my husband. It's easy for me to serve my children. It's easy to, for me to serve my parents. I love all them. But what about that person you don't like? What about that person you would refuse to have coffee with because you don't want to sit across the table from them? What about that person that hurt you? What about that person that just flat out gets on your nerves? And you know who it is because her face just came up in front of in your mind when I said that. Because <laughs> we all have them. Those people that just rub us the wrong way, that get under our skin. My pastor says that old quote, I think it was B.R. Lakin, who said, the gospel light attracts some strange bugs. And I think they all migrated to Rockford, Illinois. And for whatever reason, I'm a strange bug magnet for whatever reason. That's what my kids always said. But there's, I'm not going to say any names. I will not say names. But there were two women who just flat out got on my nerves. I just, I would avoid them at all costs, you know. And it was just like, oh, not again. And um, the Lord showed me this, and he said, that's who I want you to serve. Because if I'm truly going to humble myself and get rid of me, me has to get out of the way completely. And I have to love those that's not easy to love. I have to serve those who are not easy to serve. I have to be a friend to those who I may not normally would have befriended. But I have to serve those people that God says, here, this one this person. And the truth is, I'm going to be flat out honest with you right now. I've worked in RU for 17 years. It is so easy for me to serve RU students. I caught myself doing this on an airplane one time. I may have shared this with you. I caught myself doing this on an airplane. I've got to hurry. One time. I was, I was sitting. It was a two-seater, like two seats on this side, two seats on this side, small plane. So there's one empty seat beside me. I'm beside the window. And you know what you do. You're sitting, I'm watching people get on. I don't even realize I'm doing this. I'm like going, ooh, I hope it's not him. Ooh. Oh, I hope it's not her. Oh, oh, and the old Wendy would have always chosen the businesswoman, the clean cut, this good smelling businessman, businesswoman, you know, somebody that wasn't going to take up more than their share of their seat, that kind of thing, you know. That would have been the old Wendy. You know what I caught myself? I didn't even realize I was doing this one day, and I was watching people come on, and I caught myself going, oh, I hope it's him. It was a kid with a bunch of tattoos and a bunch of piercings, a hood on his head, and he was carrying a skateboard. I wanted him to sit by me. I was telling somebody in RU that those are my peeps. That's what I say now. Those are my peeps. That's who I feel comfortable with. The truth is I love hanging around RU students because they love talking about Jesus. They get excited about what God's doing in their life, and they love talking about God's word. The truth is now the hard ones for me to serve. Don't hate me. I love you. I promise I love you, but it's church members. <laughs> I have a hard time making myself sometimes because 
God revealed self-righteousness in my life, and now to me it's a very ugly, ugly thing. And it's very hard for me to swallow my pride and go serve somebody who just comes to church and sits in the pew and kind of looks down her nose at everybody else and doesn't even realize she's doing it but is always criticizing everybody else and nobody else is good enough and is always complaining about what the pastor did and the fact that she doesn't like the new chairs in our church and the way things are being done or how this happened or the fact that they hired this person for this job or that we're having another RU graduation again and service is going to be long and blah, 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 blah. But that's who God said, go serve them. Go love them. Humble yourself. Because when I humble myself, I thank him for all things, even the things I don't like. I make sure my heart's in the right place. And I'm, I've got a song in my heart, and I'm giving him praise. I'm not focused on what I don't have, what I want, what I wish could happen. I, no, that's not, no, I don't want that anywhere around. I'm going to give praise to Jesus. I'm going to have a joyful heart. I'm going to speak to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in my heart in the Lord. I'm going to give thanks always for all things. Unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to submit myself one to another in the fear of God. And so before my feet hit the ground in the morning, I say, God, I want you to control me today. I don't want anything else to control me, yet not even my cup of coffee. I have learned in my life, anytime I say, I need something else is controlling me besides the Spirit of God. So, and I like my coffee and coffee in the morning. It goes with Proverbs. Proverbs and coffee, they go hand in hand. But when I get to the point that I say, oh, I need coffee. No, I need Jesus. I want coffee. I need Jesus. When I need macaroni and cheese. That's my comfort food. That's my favorite comfort food. Or chocolate, haagen peanut butter, ice cream. Oh, amen, sister. <laughs> but when that becomes my coping mechanism of dealing with life, something else is in control. I don't know what it is in your life that controls you. I can veg out in front of a movie and not think about life and just escape. Now, usually what happens is I fall asleep during the movie. But... If that's what I'm looking for to help me cope, I'm full of me. I'm not full of him. He's in me, but I'm not in him. God says, Wendy, I want to help you. You don't have to do this alone. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The next verses say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light a yoke is a pair of balances that's what my life is right now I'm trying to balance life again my life has changed my kids are grown up but now my mom lives with us I'm going back and forth to the doctor all the time I still travel with my husband I still work a full-time job and my life is just trying to balance and balance when you balance you're just correcting imbalances all the time but I can't do it alone I can't do it by myself it's going to stress me out I'm going to make wrong choices I'm going to do the wrong and I'm going to try to find a way to cope I'm going to dig in for the ice cream or whatever the case may be 
But God says, I'll help you. I'll do it with you. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes for me. I just want you to, I'm not going to do an uh, invitation or anything like that. I just want you to draw a circle around yourself. Do you know what it feels like to experience his presence? Have you felt that peace that passes all understanding? How often do you feel it? Do you feel it when it's leaving you? Can you tell when the spirit of God, the presence of God, is no longer in control, but rather it's your flesh that's in control? God says, take upon his yoke. God says, empty yourself of you and die to self. God says, to have your heart joyful. Are, is your heart joyful? Are you thankful for all things always? Always. All things means all, and that's all all means. It's always, all things. What about that one thing, person, situation you don't like? Have you thanked God for it today? And I mean sincerely, not while rolling your eyes. How do you treat other people? Do they matter to you? Or are you more concerned with your own feelings rather than the feelings of others? Is there anybody in this world you would not feel comfortable sitting down and having a cup of coffee with them or a cup of tea or, or dinner or whatever? Is there somebody you don't want to be in the same room with them? As long as that's there in your life, you can't experience the presence of God. You're not going to feel it because there's something in the way. I'm asking you right now to just give this to God and find the peace that passes all understanding as you are renewed with his presence. All the money, all the fame, all the fortune, all the things in this world will never give you the pleasure like the presence of God can do. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I love you so much and thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for giving me this one sentence, these four verses, and showing me so clearly what I need to do to die to self, what I need to do to get empty of me, to not focus on what I want, to not focus on what I need to do, what I want to do, what I want to have, what I want to be, where I want to live, what I want to do with my life, or what I, even what I want you to do with my life. Lord, help me to get rid of all those thoughts. And help me to have a joyful heart and to sing songs and speak songs in my heart and be thankful for all things and to humble myself and serve others just the way you would. Lord, help us to be Christ-like. Lord, I love you. Thank you for this conference. Thank you, Lord, so much for these ladies. Lord, I pray that they'll leave away from here, not just, and not just saying they had a fun time, but help them leave here saying, I'm renewed. There's something different. I'm going to do some things differently because of this day. And not because of anything I said, but because of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.